you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to John chapter 14. We'll only be looking at three verses this evening. John 14, beginning in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, we do ask that you would do immeasurably more than we could think, more than we can imagine. We ask that you would do that in this place this evening. Pray that we would hear clearly from your word, and that, Spirit, you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive that. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore, but, Lord, may your words remain. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I can remember my first disappointment with these words. I was 12 years old and I was in Vegas. This was before Vegas had the campaign of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and Vegas was trying to market itself as a little more family friendly. And uh, my, my family was in the middle of a three-week um, vacation from Hades, and, uh, in which three kids in the back seat of a car decided to drive all the way around the United States. And uh, so we're about halfway through this, and we are in Vegas, and we were at a place called, uh, I think it was the Circus Casino. I don't know if that is still around. But out front of the Circus Casino, they had a a go-kart there that was on display. It was high up on this pedestal, and, and I, I saw that go-kart, and I was transfixed. It, it was glorious. It, it, was, it was red. It was shiny. It, it looked fast, and all I knew was I wanted it. I really wanted it, and they were, they were going to have a raffle, so it was pretty much as good as mine, uh, and so you could enter your name into a drawing. All you had to do was put your name, address, phone number. You didn't have to pay any money. So my parents let me do this. And so I entered this. And I'm not sure if I've ever prayed for anything so hard in my life as, as to get this go-kart. I, I mean, I prayed and I prayed. Um, the Lord even gave me visions. I, I had visions of of me driving my friends around, picking them up, going to church. Jesus himself, I believed, was promising this to me. Even as a 12-year-old, I kind of knew my Bible fairly well. And I I knew Jesus said, if you ask anything, anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I, I, I will do it. And so I was praying, God, give me that go-kart in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't get it. And that began 
many, many years of disappointment, frustration over these words. Have you ever been frustrated when you've read these words? I mean, I, I know we're, we're all Christians here. Probably most of you brought a Bible in, you know, and you're not supposed to ever say that you're, you're, you're frustrated. But let me ask you this. Do you, do you actually believe Jesus when he says this? Do you believe this? Or are you just disappointed when you read something like this? Do you hear Jesus saying this, but honestly, it might as well have come from Santa Claus because that's kind of how you, you, you view it? You know, Santa Claus, you could go and you could ask him for whatever, and then you're going to get it, but once you grew up and became older, you realized Santa had nothing to do it, with it. Your gifts were actually the result of somebody else's hard work. And you kind of view prayer that way. Yes, you know, I'm going to pray for healing, and you know, if I get better, that's great. But really, you know what? I went to the doctor. They gave me some medicine. I, I became better. I prayed that I might get this job, and, uh, and I got it. But you know, the reason why was I went and I just crushed that interview. I did so well on it. And so I got the job. And so really, you know, you, you did kind of pray for those things and, and you got it, but you're actually, you're thinking it was actually the result of some hard work. The other things that I didn't get, I prayed for just as fervently, but God never gave it to me. And so you, you become frustrated with this. You, you don't really believe this verse. And so what I want us to do is take an honest look at what Jesus is saying here. And can I just say that these words demand every bit of attention that we can give them. But because besides in John 16, just two chapters later, in which Jesus repeats these exact same words, this is the only time in the book of John that Jesus teaches on prayer. This is his only teaching on prayer. This is pretty astounding for me, especially when you look at the themes of John, which is really about knowing God, intimacy with God, having a personal relationship with God. Those are many of the themes there, and yet we never hear Jesus teaching about preaching or, or teaching about prayer except for right here. And when he does, it's only three sentences. Go to Amazon, look up books on prayer. You're going to find huge books on prayer. Yet when Jesus taught about it, Three sentences. But they are three packed, explosive sentences. And they get to the very heart of what prayer is. So I want us to look closely at them. Verse 12 begins with the words, truly, truly, or amen, amen. He doesn't say, Earlier, he doesn't say, truly, truly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or he doesn't say, truly, truly, a new commandment I give you. Or truly, truly, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He, he doesn't say that for those powerful statements, but he says it here. Truly, truly. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true, completely true. You could build your life on it. It is so true. And perhaps he knew he needed to say these words because what he's about to say is going to sound incredible. We, we wouldn't normally think he's telling the truth or that these are believable words, but he says, absolutely, build your life on these words. 
Truly, truly, whoever believes in me, stop right there, whoever believes in me. What Jesus is saying is that this is for every Christian now, what I'm about to say. This isn't just for the apostles, it's not just for missionaries, it's not just for pastors, this is for every Christian. And once again, John never puts a qualifier on belief, he doesn't say like, whoever really, really believes in Jesus, this is just just whoever believes, this is for every Christian. So we know that whatever is going to follow these words, Jesus is describing what should be seen as the normative Christian experience. This is not an extraordinary Christian experience. What Jesus is putting before us here is what every Christian should experience. Whoever believes in me. Then he says, we'll also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. So the normative Christian experience is for us to do greater works than Jesus. How many of you read that and were just like, yeah, right. I mean, really? Uh, I mean, that, that's the normal Christian life. Is, we're, uh, so I guess I'm supposed to maybe go across the street and feed 5,000 people? You know, pick out a, you know, some, a few sardines, a few biscuits, and just feed 5,000 people? Right after, of course, I walked across water. Maybe healed a few people on the way. Opened up the eyes of some blind people. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And those were just some of the sign miracles. You know what else Jesus, Jesus does? He, he's currently reconciling the world to God. He's satisfying the wrath of God. Jesus is perfectly revealing the Father. He's going to go on to defeat sin and death. He's going to go on to rise from the dead, save the world. These are some pretty big things. And now Jesus is saying, if you just believe in me, you could top that. You're expected to. It just seems incredible. So so what is Jesus really meaning here when he is saying these things? Now, now just about every commentator you read is going to say that Jesus must be talking about the quantity of work and not the quality of work. He must be, because we can't possibly do greater works. So Jesus has to be just talking about we're going to be doing more of these works. And, And you can look at the church and you can say, certainly this has been true in the church because when Jesus came, he, he came in human form, which means he could only be at one place at one time, and his ministry was pretty much limited to just Palestine. And so outside of Palestine, people had not heard Jesus speak. But now through his church, the gospel has gone forth, and it's, it's covered much of the world. So Jesus' outreach has grown exponentially since he last walked on earth. That is a true thing. That is certainly true, but I don't think that is all that Jesus meant when he said, greater works than this will you do. I don't think that's all he meant. There's a perfectly good word Jesus could have used if he just wanted us to do quantitatively more. 
He could have just said, more works than I have done will you do. You're just going to do more. But Jesus doesn't use that, that normal, common word that just means more. Instead, he uses this word greater. And I think that when Jesus uses this word greater, he means mightier, more powerful. And see, still, once again, this hits us. Like, how? I mean, you, you might be a stay-at-home mom who spends her entire day just changing diapers and trying to stay awake. <laughs> like, and I'm supposed to do greater works than Jesus? Or I just stare at a cubicle all day. And now Jesus says the normal Christian experience is for me to do greater things. How is this possible? Jesus tells us. He says that we can do greater works because he is going to the Father. You get that? He says because he's going to the Father. And so what Jesus is talking about is his ascension when he goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he says that the greater works that we will do are going to come as a direct result of him sitting on the throne. He's saying, when I ascend, I'm going to move into a different role. I'm going to move into a more glorious role. And in this new role, I'm going to be doing greater and more glorious things. And I'm going to do them through you. I'm going to be ushering in a new age. My kingdom is breaking through. And of course, we see this when we come to the book of Acts. Uh, Before Jesus ascended, he essentially led a small group Bible study. He had 12 people in it. Uh, And it didn't go too well. Perhaps some of you can relate. So so he's, he's just pouring himself into these 12 men for three years and they, they don't really get it. Even after Jesus died and he, he rose again from the dead, and right when he's about to ascend, there's only 120 there. And he has been appearing to many, many people. And yet there's only a 20 there. And Matthew says of those 120, as they're watching Jesus ascend, it says, and, and some doubted. They're, they're watching him ascend, and yet they disbelieve. So what happens after he ascends? Well, after he ascends, the very first sermon we have recorded was preached by a fisherman, Peter. And he goes out and he he preaches. It's not the best sermon. It's a good sermon, but he preaches it. And 3,000 people are converted. 3,000. He preaches again. 2,000 people are converted. Jesus Three years with 12 people, and it's like, hello, hello? And then, and then Peter gets up there, and he just preaches. And thousands are, are genuinely changed. Their heart is changed. And Peter is not preaching anything different than Jesus had already taught. Jesus had already taught about who he was, his death, and his resurrection. He had already taught about the Spirit, and Peter just laid those things out again. But this time, the work was greater. This time, the Spirit came in power and changed people's lives. Our works are now greater because the ascended and glorified Jesus is now doing greater works. This is the normative Christian experience. 
to both experience this greater work and to do these greater works. Let's look at how these are accomplished. Look at verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let me be direct. If we are not seeing greater works happening through the church, it's because we are not praying for greater works to be happening through the church. Prayer is how Jesus is going to do these greater works through us. Notice in verse 12, Jesus says that we're the ones doing the works, but now he says it's going to be, when we ask him, he's going to be the one doing the works. So who is it? Is it us or is it him? And the answer is yes. Jesus will be doing the works through us because of our prayers. Jesus says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask. Can I just say, do not go soft on that word, whatever. You know what it means in Greek? It means whatever. Right? It means anything. God puts no cap on the number there. He doesn't, he doesn't give you a budget. He gives you a blank check. He says, whatever you ask, Jesus said it, and he means it. There is no limit to what we can ask him. As a matter of fact, the more we ask of him, the more we honor him. I shared this story a number of years ago. It's probably fictitious or legendary. It's about Alexander the Great, but it's a really good story, so I'm going to share it again. Somebody came to Alexander the Great, was one of his generals, and asked for money for a wedding for his daughter. Weddings for daughters are a lot. I've got three of them coming up. I probably needed to be saving when they were born. So Alexander the Great, he says, that's great. I'll give you what you need. Just go talk to the treasurer and we'll set you up. And so the general talks to the treasurer. The treasurer immediately, he comes to Alexander and he says, hey, did you know that the general was asking to borrow money from you? And Alexander says, yes, I sent him to you. And he goes, but do you know how much? This will be the biggest wedding Greece has ever had. This is a huge amount of money. And Alexander the Great just smiled and he says, well, that's wonderful. That means he, he thinks I am both benevolent and powerful. He goes, this honors me. This is how God responds. Like the, the more we ask of him, the more we go with these huge requests, God is honored. He says, thank you for thinking so highly of me that I am so good and I am so gracious and I have such wealth to pour upon you. My resources are without limit. Jesus does, however, give us this, this one little tiny condition to our asking. We have to ask it in his name. In his name. Now, let me just put this out there. Y'all do know that that means you just can't add 
in the name of Jesus to whatever you want, and he gives it to you, all right? You can't just, you know, ask for maybe a go-kart and just like, I'd like a go-kart in Jesus' name, and he's going to give it to you. I mean, I remember when, when I prayed for that, and I was saying in Jesus' name, and, and, and I didn't get it, or another day would go by. I didn't know if I'd want it or not, so I'd begin praying some more, and I'd say, okay, okay God, I, maybe I should compliment him some. Almighty God, you who made things, you know, I was kind of new at this, you made these wonderful things and you are so, so good. Give me that go-kart, please, in the name of Jesus, amen. I mean, we, we, we kind of, we, we snicker at that, we mock at that, but... Honestly, we've probably never outgrown that. We probably think we need to add a few praises or a few compliments to Jesus to kind of grease the wheels to his generosity, all right? We do. Our prayers are filled with all these compliments only in order to get to the request, to the things that we really want. And so we see God as this kind of celestial vending machine in which you know, we go to him and we're like, all right, I, I, okay, that, that's what I want. How do I get it? You know, all, almighty father, you are benevolent and gracious and good. It's a big request. I mean, I got to dig in deep. You are totally awesome. Now you get what you want in the name of Jesus. You know, you push that button in the name of Jesus and you're waiting for, for what you really wanted to come on out and it doesn't come out and you're looking at it you're like, what in the world? I mean, I, I did the thing. I mean, I did it. You know, like, well, maybe there needs to be another comp, you know, compliment. You are the creator of the entire universe. You know, you put that in there and you're like, still nothing. So now you start kicking it. You start rocking it thinking, what's wrong with this? And then finally in frustration, you just walk away saying it doesn't work. That's, that's how a lot of us have approached prayer. We, we did the formula, we prayed the right things, we said in the name of Jesus, but we didn't get what we want, and we're like, see, that's why I'm frustrated with this. And so, so we walk away. Hear me, Jesus is not saying that he's a genie in the bottle, and he's just gonna give you whatever, whatever you want. No, he says you have to ask for things in his name, and he means two things by this, to ask things in his name. First is this, he means that the focus of our prayers need to be all about him and his glory. The focus of our prayers. In other words, when we pray, we're going to kind of set our aim at, at his glory, at his name, at his renown, at his mission. That is what we're going to aim for. And then if we see the things that are necessary in order for that to happen, that's what we're going to ask for. But what we are shooting for is his glory. And this is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray that we read in Matthew and in Luke when he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those aren't just compliments. Those aren't just praises. Those are the focus of the prayer. 
That's, that's Jesus just narrowing that vision. He wants to hollow the name of God. He wants the name of God to be treasured, the name of God to be adored. And with that as his goal, he will then pray for other things. Even when he prays, give us this day our daily bread, it's all with the focus of God's name being hallowed, his kingdom coming. This is why Jesus did not teach us to pray for things like give us this day our daily chocolate. (laughs) Give us our daily lobster. Give us a new car. Give us this day a better, more fulfilling job. He says, no, give us this day our, our daily bread. He doesn't ask for luxuries. He's not asking for comforts here. He says, just give me what I need to live so that I might hallow your name, I might glorify you. The the reason that we pray for just bread instead of other comforts and luxuries is because we ultimately, we see Jesus as our comfort. We see Jesus as the treasure that we want. That's why we don't have to pray for the other treasures. He's what we treasure. He's where we are satisfied. Hear me, when the bulk, the bulk of your prayer time is spent for praying for things like another job or a relationship you're in or better health, and that's the bulk of your prayer time, know this because those are the things that you treasure and adore. Those are the things you hallow. As a matter of fact, it is the things that we hallow that ultimately drive us to prayer. The things that we hallow ultimately drive us to prayer. So if you hallow your health and all of a sudden you get sick, you're going to fall to your knees and cry out and pray, God, can I get better? If you hallow your marriage above all else and and then your marriage is in trouble, that's going to be what draws you to your knees so you cry out in prayer. If you hallow being accepted by others and instead you feel rejected, you're going to fall to your knees and you're going to pray. What you hallow is going to be what drives you to prayer. If you go to God in prayer and you're praying with all your heart that God might give you another house or that he might give you some different job, what you're saying is, I need that. Father, I need that in order to be satisfied and happy. And God, he doesn't give it to you. He doesn't give it to you, and you're wondering why. And God says, it's because you're asking me for an idol. You're asking me for an idol. You're putting your heart in something else other than God. You're hallowing something else instead of me. This is what Jesus means when he says, in my name. He says, hallowing the name of Jesus is is the focus. And we're going to look at this next week when we look at the peace that Jesus gives. How do we get peace into our lives? Is it by praying for peace? That that's the focus of our prayer? Some of you have done that. It's like, I'm a stressed person. I'm an anxious person. I'm just going to pray and pray towards that end. And I say, in the name of Jesus, and I'm not getting it. It might be because what you're hallowing above all else is peace. That's peace as the world gives. 
But if you hallow all else the glory of Jesus, then your peace will not be based on any circumstance. Because you see how Jesus can be glorified in all circumstances, and you rest in that. But I'll be next week. You know, when Lauren and I first became parents, uh, we decided we wouldn't be like all those other lame parents out there. We, we had this resolve to us that we were going to be the parents who said yes. The parents who didn't shoot down their child's dreams every day, always saying no. We were going to be the ones who just always said yes. Now, we knew we would have to say no. I mean, you have to say no some, but our resolve was this. We want to say yes more than we say no. And, and then we become, you know, parents and you realize that absolutely cannot happen, all right? 95% of the time, you have to say no just to keep your children alive. So it's no, you cannot play with the axe. You know? No, ga- gaso- put the gasoline down. You cannot play with gasoline. No, you cannot climb up on the roof. No, you can't have matches. I mean, you're always just saying no, 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 because you are trying to keep your child alive. That's what it means to be a good parent here. But can I just tell you that I still long deep within my heart to say yes? I long to say yes. And any time one of my children, they give me a request, and I know it's going to be for their good, and I know I have the resources to give it to them, I'm like, yes, absolutely. And it like gives me so much joy to do it. And I'm like, ask again. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you, you kind of get this feeling. He's like, ask me anything. Ask me whatever, and I'm going to give it to you. C- come on, ask me. I want to say yes. But I'm not going to give you anything that's going to hurt you. I'm not going to give you any idol. But if my glory is your aim... And my glory will be for your good and your joy. Man, then I will gladly give it to you and know that I don't have any cap on my resources. God's going to give us everything we need to glorify him, everything we need to carry on his mission. And most importantly, he is going to give us himself. This is why immediately after this text, Jesus begins talking about the spirit of God that he's going to give to his church. He's going to give the gift of his presence. I love it in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, he says, even a evil father, well, like, can give his child some good gifts. Even an evil father will give his child bread. He goes, how much more will my Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? He's a good God, and this is the greatest thing you can ask for. Ask, and he will give it. Second thing that Jesus means when he says that we are to pray in his name is that we do not dare ever approach the Father with any request in our own name. Let me put this simply. None of us here have the credentials we need 
to make such a request. We do not merit God ever saying yes to anything we might ever ask. But through Jesus, we can actually approach the Father with our request. And because we are, we are in Christ, we are in Jesus, God the Father treats us as his son. And we are able to boldly go to his throne and to ask our Father for whatever. I want us to take time to do that tonight. We're gonna, we do this fairly often at Redeemer if you're new, but we're going to break up into groups and pray. And I want us to pray for these things. One, for greater works. Jesus gave us a blank check. Whatever you ask. So we want to ask that the Spirit would come, that he would move in power, that we would see people come to know Jesus. We want to pray that we would see his kingdom advancing mightily in power. And we want to ask boldly because God has no cap to his resources. And then we want to ask in his name, meaning we want the hallowing of the name of Jesus, the hallowing of the name of the Father to be our heart's desire. And we want God's spirit to shape that to where really what we're shooting for is the glory of God. And so I want us to take time to pray for those two things. What I want us to do is break up groups, eight to 10 people or so, and I use this time to pray. I mean, we could, we could talk later, afterwards, um, but take this time to pray through those things, and then we'll close in song.